0: This is Talking Pictures. Hello and welcome to Talking Pictures, your essential guide to the movies with me, Frida Cooper. And this week's new releases are bound to divide audiences. There's Ben Wheatley's Free Fire, Shia LaBeouf as an ex-Marine in Man Down... And Scarlett Johansson in the much hyped Ghost in the Shell. Do you remember anything
1: about the attack? What happened? There was an attack, terrorists. Why can't I feel my body? Mira, your body was damaged, we couldn't save it. We made you a new body. But your
0: mind, your soul, your ghost, it's still in here. You are the first of your kind, Mira. And Johansson returns to her usual human form to take up the hot seat for this week's big interview. On DVD, there's what was my second favourite film of last year. Be still, my beating heart. It's Patterson. Getting your writing done?
1: I did a little, yeah. working
0: on a poem for you. A love poem? Yeah, I guess if it's for you, it's a love poem. It's kind of inspired by our uh, Ohio blue tip matches. Really? Does it mention the little megaphone shape the letters make? Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and this week's movie news headlines, all in the next 20 minutes. And first up, it's the new releases, and I'm starting with Ghost in the Shell, which was released Thursday, Certificate 12A. Now, there's been plenty of hype about this one, mainly because it's based on a popular Japanese manga of the same name. I'll be taking a closer look at it in just a moment. First, though, let's make way for the film star, Scarlett Johansson, on this week's big interview. She starts by talking about the technology in this particular vision of the future.
1: I don't want to say it's an alternate universe, but it's certainly uh, what I would describe as the not so bright, not so distant future. You know, I think humans are still able to use technology to their advantage, but have lost the kind of in doing so in 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 becoming so dependent on technology for their own satisfaction. Enhancement, happiness, have sort of forgotten or are losing a, a sense of their purpose, their sense of self, connectivity, all of those things. Um, it's, a, it's a world that is, uh, I think, isolating and uh, sterile. And Rupert and I talked a lot about the plight of this character, uh, the quest for self-identity the need to know the truth about where you come from and what that what that means. Are you a product of where you come from, who you truly are from your experience? Um, is that what makes you you? What If not, then what does? And uh, the fact that this character has a life she believes she had, a life she's been given, and then a life that she chooses that journey was really exciting for me to kind of pull apart and that's how I that's how you know that's how Rupert and I kind of met and that's where the meeting of the minds was for us it wouldn't be ghosts in the shell without the crazy fight sequences uh gunplay you know it's it's been uh exhausting and really empowering at the same time to be able to be as physical and able as I have been on this on this film. I've been able to really handle the weapons, uh, complete every fight, uh, do all the wire work, and you know, really with the support of the stunt team, you know, kind of leading me, guiding me, supporting me, cheering me on. And uh, you know, it's it's it because the physicality is such an important part of this character. I've you know been really married to the idea of being able to do everything you know, and be just as capable as possible. It's been, it's really been something else for me. And I feel that, uh, I now have a set of skills for life, (laughs) you know, just, uh, just, you know, it's kind of allowed me to get over a lot of the fears that I've had of, uh, you know, just being, being out of control and, uh, you know, just, Realizing that uh, no, you're in control. You've got this, and uh, you know, and you can you can be bad, and you can
0: make it look badass too. It's it's been really empowering. So I've got to admit, I had serious doubts as to whether Ghost in the Shell was going to add up to much when a film company enforces an embargo that means reviews can't be published until the day of release. Well, you begin to wonder, and it really doesn't help when the acronym of the film's title is GITS. Now, I've never read a manga comic in my life, so I can't make any comparisons between this and the Japanese original. I'm going to take the film as it comes. And Johansson's character has been in a serious accident. Her body is shattered, but her brain has survived. So, as this is the near future, scientists build her a whole new body, one that's been cyber-enhanced, so that she's actually the perfect soldier. But while she's trying to stop enemies hacking into people's minds she's also trying to find out about her own past not the meatiest of stories and this one comes with its fair share of holes and incongruities a ghost of a plot perhaps We're also on very familiar ground, one that's always belonged to Blade Runner, where the beautiful female robot Rachel always struggled with the possibility of having a past. Even with all the interest in androids and robotics and their place in current and future society, the film actually tells us little more than we already know. Except that Johansson has a purpose. And by the time we've heard that mantra for the third time, it starts to grate. The film does come into its own, though, with the visuals, which are truly fabulous. The cityscape also owes a lot to Blade Runner, with its never-ending skyscrapers and floating advertising. The aerial shots are enough to give you vertigo, and the entire film is a visual feast. But looks aren't everything, and it does over-rely on those images. The visual appeal and the prospect of Johansson kicking ass is more than enough to put bums on seats, and it's no surprise that the final sequences set things up for a sequel. If there's going to be one, it'll need to offer more than just a pretty face to bring people back for a second helping. From the future, back to the 70s, and a whole lot of guns, in Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. Okay, just try not to hit any of the metal with, because I... I don't want to get any of those bling burns on my new suit. Sorry, what was that? This is from several.
1: I don't know about you guys, but I for one think Vern's merchandise is a real gas. My guess is you're whatever you're paid to be, pal.
0: Cillian Murphy trying out the merchandise, Army Hammer being incredibly irritating, and Shalto Copley getting very put out about his suit in Free Fire, released Friday, Certificate 15. And you can say what you like about Ben Wheatley, but he is never afraid to call controversy. His last one, high-rise split critics and moviegoers alike, Right down the middle. Free Fire has done much the same thing all over again. Although from the trailer, it actually looks like a reworking of Reservoir Dogs. The idea is simple enough, with a gang of crooks arriving at a disused warehouse to buy a stack of illegal firearms. The sellers show up, and then an old argument between two members of the gangs fires up all over again, and the situation erupts into a massive shootout. And Reservoir Dogs, it ain't. The echoes are fewer than you might actually think. Now, true, Wheatley has stuck to the classical unities of time, action and place, but it pretty much begins and ends there. Violence is heaped upon violence and we're not spared any wince-making moments, although it has to be said that none of the gang members are especially handy with a gun. Thankfully, all that blood is offset by the film's spiky, dark humour. The top comedy turn comes from Shalto Copley, full of 70s attitudes and wearing the mandatory wide-shirt collar over the top of his jacket. The rest of the cast, though, don't come off quite so well, and the real victim of all this is Brie Larson, the standard token woman from so many 1970s films. One of the best things about Free Fire, though, is the soundtrack, just like High Rise last year. And Wheatley and his crew have chosen some tracks that you would never expect to hear in a film like this, including the sickly sweet tones of John Denver's Annie's song, if only the rest of the film had reached those heights. You won't get bored, although you might lose interest occasionally, you'll probably wince and you'll certainly laugh. But free fire comes perilously close to firing blanks. Finally, to a film about a very serious subject, and one that takes itself very seriously indeed. The issue is PTSD among war veterans. The film is man down.
1: You will never understand what I'm
0: going through. Maybe. No, no, not me. No, maybe. I can understand guilt. I can understand regret. I can understand betrayal. These
1: are all human conditions.
0: Now you brought up suicide before, and that concerns me. Do you want to kill yourself, Gabriel? Do you really want to kill yourself? Shia LaBeouf at his counselling session with Gary Oldman in Man Down, released on Friday, Certificate 15. Now, nobody would deny that PTSD is a serious problem faced by many war veterans, both in the States and over here. The problem with Man Down is the way it sets about addressing it, because it's all over the place. LaBeouf plays an ex-Marine who, at the start of the film, appears to be in a post-apocalyptic America, trying to track down his son. But there are other parts to the story as well, and none of it really makes sense. By the time the film gets around to explaining things, you've already guessed what's happening anyway. Even the likes of LaBeouf and Oldman, who actually provide the best scenes, can't save this one from shooting itself in the foot, repeatedly.
1: You're listening to Talking Pictures. When you're a child, you learn there are three dimensions. Height, width and depth. Like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension, time.
0: Hmm. Then some say there can be five, six, seven. On to this week's DVDs and the film that was my best of the fest at the London Film Festival. Patterson that of course was Adam Driver in poetical mood Patterson the man is a bus driver and part-time poet in Patterson, New Jersey he lives with his wife who dreams of making a fortune from cupcakes or perhaps being a country singer The third person in their household is her insanely jealous dog, Marvin. And we're taken through a week in Patterson's life, following his daily routine, watching him at work, listening to his poetry and learning more about him, probably far more than he would ever want to reveal. The film is fascinated by the rhythms of everyday life. Each day is the same, yet it's never the same, because there's always something happening, however small. There's no dramatic tension or conflict, except perhaps from the dog, but it's a film that holds you in the palm of its hand, with its minute observations, its understated humour, performances to die for and beautiful delicacy. Adam Driver in the title role is nothing short of perfection as the would-be poet, a creature of habit with a deeply buried past. It's thoughtful, quiet, poetic and very simply an absolute treasure and in my book, unmissable. The next DVD is perhaps less peaceful. It's Bleed for This.
1: Come on, hear what the doctor said. You're risking your life here. My life? No, I can't do it.
0: This is a Hail
1: Mary at best. No, it's, no, it's not. It, it's a gamble. Yeah, I know that. But look, if there was a time to roll the dice, this is it. I mean, you just don't know how to give up. No, I do. Trust me, I do. I know exactly how to give up. You know what scares the out of me, Kev? Is that it's easy.
0: Miles Teller and Aaron Eckhart in Bleed for This, a film that comes with a very large built-in question mark. Does this mean the end of all the mediocre roles that Teller went for straight after Whiplash? The short answer is yes, but with a qualification, because this isn't just his film. It also belongs to Kieran Hines, who plays his father, and Eckhart as his trainer. It's the true story of boxer Vinny Pazienza. In the 1980s, his career reached a peak and he held two championship belts. But a near-fatal car crash broke his neck and his prospects of walking again, let alone getting back in the ring, were slim. Pazienza, though, had other ideas and 12 months later made one of the most extraordinary comebacks in boxing history. Now, this might sound like the bleeding obvious, but the one thing you can't get away from is that it's a boxing movie. Now, what I mean by that is that they are always about the same thing, triumph over adversity. The only difference here is that the adversity is enormous and the story remarkable, so the film itself has trouble living up to it. The next DVD is something of a period piece. Boy, I tell you, do you in the choir, we can't lose at the Isteadford. Maybe, but I got to find a job. That's why I'm on my way to Darren Valley. Darren Valley? Like
1: a red rag to a bull, since they beat him at the last Isteadford. No, you can't go there. I'll, I'll find you work in the pit with me.
0: Edward Chapman and Paul Robeson there in The Proud Valley, which first came out in 1940 and is re-released in a restored format. Robeson, of course, was a famous singer, actor and political activist, and here he plays a sailor who fetches up in a Welsh mining village. His tremendous singing voice attracts the attention of the local choir master, but everything changes when a serious accident closes the local pit. Some of the miners march to London to persuade the owners to reopen it, and it works, but it all comes at a cost. The film looks like the period piece that it is, but it's too easy to pick holes in a film that's actually of its day. It starts slowly, but really gets into its stride when the miners go down the pit to reopen it. This is easily the best part of the film, the setting is convincing, and it's a reminder of a way of life that's pretty much faded into history. There's also a contemporary resonance that its director, Penn Tennyson, could never have envisaged in the way that Robeson's character is accepted by the local community. There's only one comment about his colour and it's stamped on quickly. The Proud Valley has plenty of weaknesses, but for today it has layers of interest and significance and it deserves this re-release. The final DVD of this week, well, it's gone straight to DVD. Never a good sign. It's Nicolas Cage riding again, this time in Vengeance, a love story, which didn't get a sniff of a cinema release in this country, thank goodness. It's actually pretty standard Nick Cage over-the-top stuff, this time with him playing a cop who goes all out for revenge when a single mother is beaten senseless. The perps are nicked and put on trial, but they've got a slimy lawyer in the shape of Don Johnson, and he gets them off, hence Cage taking matters into his own hands. Now, it wouldn't be such a problem if this was just simply a bad film. True, it is pretty lousy but there's something about it that leaves a rather nasty taste in your mouth. Revenge, in this particular instance, is anything but sweet. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. With Frida Cooper. And that's this week's lineup. You know, to be honest, none of this week's new releases got a look-in when it came to choosing my film of the week. It is, of course, the sublime Patterson, and I make no apologies for that whatsoever. Out of the newbies in cinemas this week, well, my guess is that Ghost in the Shell will be happily putting bums on seats and should feature somewhere in next week's box office charts. As for this week, let's check out the new top five at the British box office. Just one new entry in this week's top five, which has caused a minor reshuffle. Down to number five is the former number one Logan, hanging on by his talons. At four is another former number one, this time Kong Skull Island, while at three it's the modern horror Get Out. Straight in at number two come those Power Rangers, but still on top and by a very long way. It's Beauty and the Beast. Now, Lumia, as head of the household, I demand that you put her back in her cell at once. What do you want to be for the rest of your life, Cogsworth? A man or a mental clock? And in this week's movie news headlines, after winning the Best Picture Oscar with Moonlight, director Barry Jenkins is heading to Amazon for his next project, a one-hour drama based on the award-winning novel The Underground Railroad. The latest remake of Bedtime Story, this time called Nasty Women, has found its director in the shape of British comedian Chris Addison. Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson are already signed up to star. And if you've not seen the knockout trailer for A Ghost Story, which reunites Casey Affleck, Rooney Mara and director David Lowry, then you really should. It actually does have a ghost in it, a faceless one, The saddest ghost I've ever seen.
1: You're listening to Talking Pictures.
0: And that's all from this week's Talking Pictures. No time for any clips, but next week's show is crammed with big names. Arnie Schwarzenegger, Alec Baldwin, Gail Garcia-Bernal, and Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman in Going In Style. And the big names carry over into the DVDs as well, with Dwayne Johnson in Disney's Moana, and Brad Pitt and Marianne Cotillard in Allied. So I'll be back with another edition of Talking Pictures next week. Until then, enjoy the movies!